we as a, a big OEM can partner with the dealer and provide the technology tool and the support to run a successful dealership, right? Technology plays a significant role in enhancing customer experience at Nissan dealership, right? By using technology, Nissan dealership can improve their operations, increase their efficiency, productivity, and, and then better serve the customer. That means customer is happy or customer satisfaction go up, which in turn means a better sale for us and more sales for us. Welcome to Light Data Action, the podcast that's on a mission to help you discover new technology trends and tools and better understand how they affect the world around us. Light Data Action is sponsored and produced by Lumen Technologies, the platform for amazing things. I'm your host, Terry Barbonis, and in each episode, I'll speak with industry executives and thought leaders to discuss how these technologies change the way we do business, how they influence the fourth industrial revolution, and how you can stay ahead of the innovation. If you're ready, let's join the conversation. Hey, everybody. Today, I want to talk to you about the automotive industry, which is in the middle of significant technological disruption. Now, Underpinning Industry 4.0 and the next generation of mobility is the rapid emergence of artificial intelligence, intelligent automation, predictive analytics, virtual reality, digital twins, etc., all of which are working to deliver real-time insights to enable powerful innovation and transform the way automotive companies operate. In addition, this technological advancement has also ushered in an era of new driving experiences and business models, forcing organizations to adjust to changing customer expectations to ensure they can deliver personalized and more meaningful customer engagement on every channel. My guest today is a strategic leader and visionary with over 25 years experience in information technology a journey that has taken him from programmer to becoming a senior executive leader. Nagi Kudithini currently serves as the chief technology officer for Nissan, where he leads the company's end-to-end technology transformation, overseeing all IT platforms, enterprise architecture, and the cloud business office. His role covers all of North and South America, from Canada all the way down to Chile. Welcome to the show, Nagi. Great to have you here. Thank you, Terry. Thank you for having me. So I mentioned in my opening, technology transformation, all these technologies. Technology has always played a huge role in the evolution of the automotive industry from the internal combustion engine to electric motors, manual assembly to robots, traditional design to virtual reality design and so forth. How do you and your role in in the 25 years that you've been doing technology and now within the automotive industry, how do you look at all this technology and digital transformation? How do you approach it? This is the time of change. You know, what we need to do is all the organizations has to be open for change, especially in the world of automotive industry where transformations is going too fast, right? So to keep pace with the industry, we reevaluate what we do currently, current methods, current process, and, and and try to see what is the problems that we're trying to solve and implement new, new technologies for it. But but if you look at it overall, technology is, is changing every day. And our demand to implement newer technologies from uh, the customers is also increasing, right? In order to provide better services uh, for them, 
So we just need to be on top of it. Yeah, and I've actually heard specific to to Nissan, I've heard William Orange, your CIO, Nissan CIO, say that what Nissan has done in the past is not necessarily the way we do things in the future. I'm just curious from your perspective, I assume that includes technology, but you know, for a company that was an innovator back when Nissan had introduced the Nissan Leaf, which was I'm not sure many people know this these days with everything being Tesla and, and other EVs, but Nissan actually introduced the world's first mass-produced 100% EV back in 2008, I think, 2010, something like that. What was William referring to? Is it just technology or is it really everything that has to do with running a large-scale automotive company these days from your perspective? CIO William Orange, he's recently won a CIO of the Year Award. Uh, he's a technologist like me, and he thinks and acts like an architect. Now you can imagine what it means in that code, right? So what he's trying to communicate is what I just said, right? The company needs to be open to change and innovation, specifically with the change brought by digital transformation, which is rapidly changing the automotive industry, right? So he's, he's also saying that our past, past practices that we're following today and the strategy that we de- deployed is not sufficient to stay competitive within the market in this digital era. So this the statement simply means that the company Nissan, uh, from an ISIT's perspective, we are ready to reevaluate the current methods, the process to implement new technologies and the strategies to improve our overall competitiveness. We believe automation is the key to efficiency and productivity. I was just going to ask you about, you you mentioned automation and orchestration, which is something that whenever I talk to executives about digital transformation, not just within the automotive industry, but industry in general, the ability to orchestrate and automate processes seems to be key. How do you consider both of those in terms of establishing new technology models for the organization? The best way to answer this question in the context of automotive industry would be to provide a very good example of how automation orchestration can be used to drive transformation in the industry, right? One of the example is like, you know, age old example that how automotive industries implemented automation orchestration improve production efficiency. Like, you know, we, everybody has done that, right? So, and, and just for emissary efficiency and it'd be reduced costs to do this. They use robots to automate repetitive tasks right, such as welding, painting, and assembly. This helped them to increase the efficiency and reduce the risk of errors. Additionally, they've implemented manufacturing execution systems, which we call as MES, to coordinate and optimize the flow of materials and information across the production line. They also integrated the automation systems, the robots, and the MES, so that the robots are automatically triggered by the MES when the production schedule shows up on the line, right? So in some cases, MES is also collecting data, and, and that data is analyzed and monitor their performance and identify the areas of improvement, right? So this is in traditional old ways of automation and orchestration process, right? But in the, let's take the future uh, modern example. Like, you know, a lot of automotive suppliers are leveraging IoT and AI technologies to monitor and predict equipment failures and optimize their maintenance schedule. This would like this is helping them to prevent a lot of you know reduced downtime costs. 
What we're talking here is in both examples, the organizations is leveraging automation orchestration to streamline the process, improve efficiency and reduce costs, and ultimately increasing the competitiveness and the profitability, right? So to do this right way, you know, organizations need to first identify a specific business needs and goals, right? They just not go, oh, let's deploy automation not knowing what they're really trying to solve, right? Evaluate the current technology infrastructure, which is very key. You know, a lot of people fail there, going and finding new technology, but realizing that it doesn't integrate well with what they have, right? Research and, on and evaluate the different technologies and tools that are available. Ensure that the technologies are compatible with organizations, current existing processes and systems. And make sure that you regularly monitor and perform the effectiveness of the solutions that you apply, what we call as PDCA, right? And one of the key things that we also need to do is engage the stakeholder. You know, a lot of the times transformation fail because you don't engage the stakeholder, you deploy a system and stakeholder doesn't use it, right? So engage a stakeholder, train him on what you're deploying and so that the stakeholder is, is ready to accept and, and use those transformations. Are there processes that make sense when you look at automation in particular that make sense to completely automate and then other processes that are more collaboration between human and robot and human and technology because you still need that person to do some level of verification or oversight? We have to first identify what we're trying to solve. When we start on the automation journey, the first thing that we need to do is what specific business needs and goals are we trying to address? When we select that and by, by evaluating the current processes and evaluating what we currently do, if it makes sense to keep some automation and some keep what it is today because of various challenges, so be it. But automate whatever you can so that you can gain that productivity and efficiency. You know, you mentioned your MES, your manufacturing execution systems for the audience and IoT and so forth. A lot of companies I talk to executives over the years, especially within manufacturing that are still trying to reconcile the OT and IT side of the business, right? You have operational technologies, your time series data and so forth that are used as part of an MES and on the factory floor. And then you have IT, which is the traditional IT that, you know, a CIO and CTO and so forth run, there's been an ongoing collision course of both of those, which is kind of what gave us this idea of IoT. But sometimes companies are still struggling because they have separate budgets, they have separate purviews, and yet it seems like to get the most benefit, especially out of data, those two have to come together. What's your purview of that? And how do you kind of reconcile that with a Nissan? There's one topic that's bringing them together in this day and age, right? right? That's cybersecurity. You know, in the past, IT and OT have been separate and they interact whenever they need to interact to get into, you know, each other networks from lack of a better term. But what actually is happening on the ground is with InfoSec, information security and cybersecurity is being key part of, of organizations' goals. IT and OP, OT are coming together, and and it's a good thing. You know, this is transforming the way IT is being looked at, the way OT is being looked at. There are some organizations that actually combined IT and OT into as one organization. Um, sure. We are not there yet, but I think we are in the process of 
working together with a lot of lot of programs being done in our side to to bring them together and work as closely as possible to achieve the same common goal from an overall cybersecurity perspective. And not quite being there yet is you're obviously not the only ones in that space. That's why I ask that question. From a data perspective, this is a question that I like to ask a lot of companies when you look at the successful you know, acquisition analysis of data as part of being central to making real-time decisions these days. Would you say that Nissan, would you consider Nissan a manufacturer that happens to use data? Or do you think we're at the point now where the automotive industry, automotive companies like Nissan are data companies that happen to manufacture? So my simple answer, Terry, is both. As a CTO, this is what I believe. I believe that Nissan is a manufacturer that leverages data and a data company that happens to be manufactured. In today's digital age, you know, data has been a critical part of our operations and decision-making process. We collect and analyze data from various sources to gain insights and improve our products and processes, right? In both on the manufacturing side, both on the sales side and the customer's engagement side too. I say this to my partners all the time. We are a manufacturer that produces best quality cars. Our expertise in manufacturing and our ability to produce high quality products is what sets us apart in the market. Right. However, we we understand the data is becoming an increasingly important part of our operations, and we are committed in leveraging it to drive innovation, efficiency, and decision-making process. We're not there, like, you know, 100%, but we're getting there. To achieve this, we're investing in technologies such as customer 360 analytics, you know, IoT, AI, to enable real-time decision-making. We're trying to use this data to optimize our operations. We are also establishing, you know, we're not completely there yet, but we're also establishing sort of data science teams that would work closely with our business teams to extract insights from data and apply them to improve our products and processes. In summary, again, to, uh, to answer your question, we view data as a, a strategic asset that enables us to improve in decision-making process and to create competitive advantage in the market. Out of curiosity, you know, one of the things that I see more and more, I, I, you know, I speak to the analysts with, you know, from IDC and Gartner and so forth. You see this emergence of these data marketplaces, these data exchanges where data providers, those that have data that they want to anonymize, monetize, and so forth, and those that are looking for data to purchase. Being that data within, I'm sure the industry, not just Nissan, is such a strategic asset. Is there any type of you know, kind of sharing mentality in a manner that allows you to improve your own processes by what others, and, and maybe others doesn't just include the automotive industry, it includes other manufacturers that may have data that helps you improve your own processes. Is the idea of data sharing even exist within the automotive industry, or is it too much of a of a strategic, you know, IP issue that you keep everything close to the to the vest? Data sharing is something that has been there for a long time, but automotive industry is something that's catching up recently. But again, one of the things that we've got to be very careful is uh, with all these regulations coming up uh, with CCPA and GDPR, and, and now every state is now thinking about bringing up privacy regulations, we got to be very careful you know, on what to share and what not to share. So sure. we at Nissan, if it is something that is not good from an overall privacy perspective. We don't share that information with anyone. 
If it makes us better to look and improve our operations, our uh, products, our processes, comparing with another OEM, sure. Again, as long as it doesn't destroy our reputation in the market or you know, get into trouble from a privacy perspective. Right, which is completely understandable. You mentioned cloud briefly, and I want to ask you a little bit about that. Not just cloud, but edge computing in, in general. When you look at technologies like cloud to improve efficiencies, operating costs, and so forth, we've, we've kind of gone through this pendulum swing where everything was cloud first, right? Organizations had permission to look at cloud at the top of their list of execution venues. And now we have this term that was coined called cloud smart, which is we did a bunch of things in cloud initially that we realized may not have been the best. You have a lot of companies that are asking to come back out of cloud and do things within, uh, you know, on-prem and so forth. How do you look at quantifying the value of cloud? I know you run, you're part of the cloud business office. As I said earlier, uh, do cloud economics play a role when you look at cloud or edge computing in general at Nissan? Yes, uh, Terry, one of my uh, proud achievements this year is the performance of our, of our cloud FinApps team. You know, how we could save uh, millions of dollars for our organization, you know, which I'll explain in a bit. When looking at technologies like cloud and you know, to increase the efficiencies and improve operating costs and blah, 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 whatever you talk about in the cloud, it is important to approach quantifying the value of the cloud in a well-planned and organized approach. Right. If you don't do that, you're going to be in trouble. So one way to do this is to first identify the specific business needs and goals that organization is trying to achieve. It could be as simple as, you know, a redu- could be include reducing ID costs, improving scalability, or improving the uh, resiliency uh, for business applications, right? Or increasing the collaboration and productivity. But you got to identify what you're trying to solve. Once the specific business needs have been identified, it is important to evaluate the current technology infrastructure. Again, you know, got to make sure that you know what you currently have. Identify which process can be moved into the cloud and meet these goals. Don't do a big bang. You know, just make sure that uh, you identify those. It's also important to research and evaluate different cloud services too. Not just deciding going to cloud is, is, is the end of story. You got to decide what cloud services are the providers that you're going to a partner with, you know, that's going to work with you to solve your problem. That's best fit for your organization needs. This is where the cloud economics is going to come. It plays a wider role while evaluating and value of cloud. It is important to consider the, what I call as total cost of ownership of the cloud services, which is just not including the initial cost, but also ongoing costs, the upgrades and support and service costs. Once the cloud services has been identified, it is important to create a detailed cost-benefit analysis and take into account. A lot of the times when we do this detailed benefit-cost analysis, people forget to include the indirect benefits that cloud cloud adoption gives you, which are like you know increased efficiency or or increase resiliency or improve collaboration or reducing risk. Again, we got to make sure we include all of that, create a detailed cost-benefit analysis. Additionally, it is important to regularly review and monitor what I call as a PDCA. You know, we want to make sure we definitely monitor it and effectiveness of the of all these cloud services. And again, this is this is the only way you can ensure that they're delivering the expected cloud benefits and also will also give you the areas of improvement, right? This is where the FinOps uh, or a cloud FinOps, what I call is uh, play a key role, making sure 
that your delivery teams, as a technology leader myself, as CTO, I support to all my delivery teams with the platforms, making sure that delivery teams is adopting the best practices to be efficient in the cloud, because that is key, because cloud is is not going to forgive you, right? You know, I, I always tell this example to my team that, hey, if you run a server in the data center, all you're going to pay is a few pennies on a power, Right. But if you go, if you run your uh, servers on a cloud and you don't take care of it, you're gonna pay a lot of money, right? So, right. so we got to make sure that uh, the team, the other teams are opting best practices and to be efficient in cloud. And also, as a FinOps, uh, as a cloud COE, we look out for them and see, hey, is there a, is there a saving plans available, or is there anything that we could buy with the service provider that helps them to reduce costs? Is something that can be done at the uh, organization level. We make that. One of the biggest item from a cloud adoption perspective is, and we see a lot of articles, they some somewhere between 20 to 30% of it and on every organization is the waste stage, right? People leave their compute on and, uh, and don't, not take care of it, uh, or they have dev environments running 24 bar seven. You know, why do we need that, right? So that's another piece that they need to be looking on it to be very efficient. Overall, you know, for me, to approach quantifying the value of cloud, it is important to have a well-planned and organized approach and to take into account not only the direct costs and the cloud services, but also the indirect benefits and also have a strong cloud finance process to sustain costs. That's almost parallels what I hear from other executives when I ask the same question. Out of curiosity, does Nissan have any workloads that benefit not just from cloud, but from edge computing? The, the the idea, and let me just define edge and the way I hear it used within manufacturing is you have manufacturers that do a lot of analysis and other things on-prem because there's a low latency requirement or some other requirements where not even cloud is an execution venue that they would consider. But now you have the advent of these edge locations that are within proximity of a, of a plant or supply chain vendors and so forth that allows you to take some of that analysis and data out of the factory floor, put it into a location that, that gives you the ability to analyze that data and so forth and do it with a level of latency that only edge could help satisfy that use case. Are there use cases like that within Nissan or is it just you know things like public cloud that afford you the ability to do what you need to do outside of on-premises? Using data for a lot of our operations, you know, we have, we're committing to invest in using all of the, using data in a lot of our operations, right? And one of the transformation plan I asked my team is to start looking at what are the use cases for our edge computing? I don't think we have identified all of it. We have sure. a couple of them, but again, still in the discussion phases, but but today, you know, if you look at it, we have a huge data center. We have a lot of campus locations that we call it as we have there we have compute. We call them as our edge compute today, for lack of better terms. But right. but looking at future adoption of technologies like Snowflake and and the big data platforms that run in AWS and stuff like that, there are going to be a need for us in the edge locations, especially in the manufacturing plants, where we need to make decisions faster, right? And we, there, there will be some deployment of edge computing for sure in future. Okay, fair, fair enough. I, I want to go back to, you touched on it a little bit, but I'm curious on your, your insights on cybersecurity. 
I just saw a study that talked about trends within the auto industry where they they spoke to a number of organizations, a number of executives, specifically in terms of where they were going to be spending budget and so forth. And overwhelmingly, it was cybersecurity, which I can imagine why. Um, Now, I've heard you say that cybersecurity is the greatest impediment. You said it a few minutes ago as well, the greatest impediment to technology transformation in many organizations. Can you elaborate on that a little more? Is there specific aspects of cybersecurity when you look at the automotive industry or you look at specifically what you do at Nissan that you think are a greater challenge than others? Let me give my simple definition of cybersecurity because, you know, um, cybersecurity means a whole lot of things, but I just want to make sure. For me, it's a practice of protecting internet-connected systems, including hardware, software, data, from attack, damage, or unauthorized access. Again, you know, setting the state from an overall what cybersecurity means for me, right? When it comes to technology transformation, cybersecurity is essential to ensure that sensitive information and the systems remain protected throughout the process, right? Without proper cybersecurity measures in place, an organization may be invulnerable to cyber attacks. There can be significant damage or disruption to operations. When I say this code, it is suggest, my suggestion that the lack of proper cybersecurity measures is, is, a, is the biggest obstacle for organizations to fully embrace technology transformations, right? As long as if you have a, a good supporting mechanism from an overall cybersecurity perspective, I think transformations can be pretty easy for you. You know, I've seen, I think it was last year, there was an auto manufacturer that reported identifying a vulnerability in their keyless entry system. I mean, it's susceptible to attacks. So I'm curious, how do you how do you look at things like you know DevSecOps in terms of uh, you know the underlying software that supports these these vehicles? And, and I think to me this is huge because we're now moving into a world again. If you look at automobiles like Tesla and the newer EVs that are basically pieces of hardware that are entirely run by software. What is DevSecOps and sort of similar protections within the software development lifecycle look like from your purview? You might be seeing, you might be seeing smiling for this question. This is one <laughs> of my favorite subjects. So DevSecOps is an is an approach to software development. That you know that integrates security practices into development lifecycle, right? Which is very near and dear to me. For me, a lot of times people think security is an afterthought, right? You know that's that's the that's a mentality that we got to change. DevSecOps allows organization to identify and address security vulnerabilities early in the development process, reducing the risk of security breach. And there's a lot of numbers out there in the internet that people have benefited from using dev by deploying DevSecOps, right? There's several ways that I see it implementing DevSecOps, right? Incorporating security testing and vulnerability assessment in the development process, you know, such as static code analysis, dynamic code analysis, and implement, and also doing penetration testing. Another way that you can also do is integrating security into continuous integration and continuous delivery pipelines. Again, this is my favorite topic, uh, such as using you know, automated security testing tools to scan for vulnerabilities before it is deployed. Your CI/CD pipelines are all automated and you're not letting the deployment done 
unless you do the scan, right? And, and in, in addition to any of those, you have to have a, a security team, a dedicated security team that works closely with the development and operations team to make sure that security is considered throughout the development process. When, when you're building the architecture, when you're writing code, when you're testing, when you're deploying, you know, everywhere there's an aspect of security. One of the key areas that, that I think is very important is encouraging the culture of security awareness and training among all the team members, including developers and operation team members, and, and sometimes even the stakeholders, your business stakeholders, your executive leadership, everything. You need to be part of, part of this security awareness and training. For me, ultimately, the goal of DevSecOps is to ensure that security is built into the software development lifecycle rather than being an after, afterthought, by, and then implement the best practices within the organization, which will reduce the, the risks of vulnerabilities. And by doing all of this, we can definitely avoid the uh, issue that auto manufacturer keyless entry system created. Yeah, exactly. And, and that's one of the challenges of technology becoming so pervasive within these industries, especially automotive, heightens the need for cybersecurity and DevSecOps even more, which is probably because in those studies I mentioned, why it ranks so high. L- let me talk a little bit about customer experience. You know, for the last two and a half years, I'm losing count. Customers, consumers in general are used to doing so many things virtually through apps and so forth. And within the automotive industry, you have this dynamic that was probably, you know, Tesla that you read about it more than than not, is this dealer to consumer model in terms of the whole buying experience. I've read that, you know, Nissan considers their their dealership franchise model to be a key to their ongoing success. But I'm curious how technology will continue to help you in terms of the that dealership franchise model. And is there any consideration at some point in the future, even with you have some organizations, some auto manufacturers that are taking specific EV models and deciding for one reason or the other to go direct to consumer while the rest of their fleet is being sold through dealers without without giving up any of Nissan's strategic plans from a technology perspective? How do you look at direct to consumer and how do you look at how technology improves the ongoing customer experience for your, your dealer model? Yes, sir. Uh, Nissan dealers play a significant role in Nissan success. You know, Nissan believes in franchise model and it's going to stay that way because it allows for us to focus on the product and dealers to focus on sales and service to our customers, right? But what we could do is we as a, a big OEM can partner with the dealer and provide the technology tool and the support to run a successful dealership, right? Technology plays a significant role in enhancing customer experience at Nissan dealership, right? By using technology, Nissan dealership can improve their operations, increase their efficiency, productivity, and, and then better serve the customer. That means the customer is happy or customer satisfaction go up, which in turn means a better sale for us and more sales for us. So some of the examples that I can talk about and how technology can enhance customer experience in a point of view is, you know, automation of uh, sales and service processes. You know, there's there's a lot of conversation going back and forth between Nissan and Nissan dealers. And, and we deployed a system called NCAR, 
which is the industry first tablet-based delivery process, again, which, which kind of standardizes the, uh, the delivery of a car across all the dealerships at Nissan. You know, we have some data to show that, hey, when we deployed this tool, our customer satisfaction has actually went up. These tools for customer engagement, you know, our uh, brand sites is, is now in, in more robust in, in, in making a, a personalization of a car. Wow, you, what do you want to buy? We also started using virtual reality at the dealership to help our customers, you know, in the sales buying process. To uh, your other question of uh, in the last two, two and a half years, there's a lot of change happening in the industry. How are we managing it? You know, in the last three years, everything has changed. Uh, the digital and the virtual com- customer experience has become increasingly important for many industries, you know, including automotive industry. With the shift towards e-commerce, the rise of virtual experiences is growing. We at Nissan really recognize that, and we are investing in, in digital and virtual experiences as our overall go-forward strategy. Uh, I'm not an expert on all of what you're doing, but I can talk about uh, some of the few things that we have done in that space. If you look at online purchase process for Nissan, we have a program called Nissan at Home, an award-winning online buying process, which allows customers to purchase and service their cars right from the comfort of their own home. The cars delivered to their doorsteps. On the personalization, we're using technology to create immersive virtual environment that allows customers to explore and customize cars before buying. Another technology that we recently been very focusing on mobile apps. We have deployed mobile apps that allow customers to access information about cars, find nearby dealerships or interact with the with the Nissan, schedule a test drive or schedule an appointment, or even manage a car, what we all call as telematics, right? So uh, right. that's something that we've been doing it. By investing in the digital and virtual customer experience, I think our goal is to provide customers seamless and convenient buying experiences. This can lead to uh, a better customer satisfaction. Yeah. And I wonder if one of the dynamics that we saw analysts talked about and that I we heard firsthand from executives in the retail industry was even though there was a level of convenience to shopping online and through apps and so forth, in retail at least, there was still a greater amount of what somebody put into their shopping cart when they were in a physical location versus buying online. And that's why a lot of retailers were still, even if you were ordering online and coming and picking up at the store, there was an advantage to having you in the store because while you're there, you could potentially go, oh, I also need this as well. Does that same dynamic apply, do you think, or do you know within a dealership model? Does somebody come in to buy a Nissan and pick more options when they're in the dealership and they can actually physically touch the car and sit in a car versus ordering completely online? Yeah, that's what I think. When you when you partner with your dealerships, you know, in deploying the online buying process through your e-commerce portal, which we did, you can provide every option that a customer would be able to buy at the store in the online version, right? See, that's what the deployment of Nissan's uh, stronger and, and probably the best in the industry is that we partnered with our dealers to make sure that we include everything what they would have sold to a customer in the dealership. And that's going through the menu, many of options that customers would take a look into it and finish their purchase online. Sometimes we even deliver the car to their home. 
So um, yeah. they don't even need to go to the dealership. And I believe that it's going to be very important for future generations, which are used to these kind of services, right from their age, to have this delivery to their home. I don't think they would like to go have a conversation with the salesperson at the dealership. I think that's the thing within the automotive industry, right? When you talk to anybody is, what part of experience do you like and don't like? I personally like to talk to people. So how about culture? How does, from your perspective, having done this for a long time, especially within this industry, what does culture play a role within an auto manufacturing environment? Again, something that we saw change or transform rather over the last two and a half years, especially with people working remotely and so forth. How does all that apply to an auto manufacturer or does it? Culture plays a, a critical role in anybody's environment, especially in the auto manufacturing environment, right? A positive and supportive culture that values innovation, collaboration, and continuous improvement. And behaviors like customer first, think outside the box, respect the society is essential for achieving success. And that's what, we, that's what Nissan do, right? In our organization, we strive to foster a culture of innovation. We want to make sure that we think outside the box. What we have done in the past is now what you should be doing. Right. right. We want to make sure that we, we we think outside the box. Customer is always comes first. You know, um, whatever we do, we want to make sure our customer is going to be receiving that that and able to solve their problems, not our problem. Right. And and respect the society. Again, that's one of the things that we do in our side is is to make sure that all employees are, are thinking of whatever they whatever they do. It's like okay, what I'm going to the rest of society like. As you said, you know, Nissan has been the first EV, EV mass market manufacturer. Yes, we'll take very pride of it because that's one of the things that came out of it is to see what can we do in order to reduce the, the carbon footprint. And that was something that came out and invest a lot of money in building EV. And, and this is where we are. And now we're releasing our second big EV in the market uh, with Nissan Aria. We got to make sure... We focus on automation. We focus on our customer engagement technologies. And again, use artificial intelligence and machine learning, you know, wherever we can to be better at and providing better products to our customers. Overall, I think, I believe, um, you know, that fostering culture of innovation, promoting behaviors like customer first, think outside the box and respect society and leveraging technology. We, we can um, increase the prospect of uh, business outcomes. That's fantastic. I love it. So let me ask you one last question, Nagi. If you look into the Nagi crystal ball three to five years out, where do you put your big bets within the automotive industry or within Nissan in terms of technologies or direction? Or where do you think all of this is is going? Or where would you like to see it go? I, I don't know the overall from a product roadmap perspective, and I can't divulge more on it because of all the uh, confidentiality that we have to keep it to. Sure. But what I can tell you from an overall MySco perspective, where do I see it? Transformation is going to be key. Again, we have to transform everything what we do today in order to support future products, right? If you Google about Nissan's next big midterm plan, we'll call it Ambition 2030, uh, electrification is, is one of the big pillars. We're going to be looking at what all is required for us to 
yeah, support those activities. There are five major objectives that I look into for everything that we do going forward for the next two, three years is to make sure whatever we do, we protect the company. Cybersecurity is going to be key. Again, the second thing that I think about is make sure that whatever we do, we are operationally efficient. We're uh, providing the best services to our dealers and customers and our employees. Modernize, you know, don't just wait the things to break. Uh, modernize everything and then help business to digitize, you know, and, and find additional revenue uh, streams, you know. By, while you're doing all of it, Keep in mind, you have to be cost effective because, you know, you can't, again, get more money every day. So you have to be able to save some money in order to invest in something more. So this is where more going to be my challenge and my focus comes the next few years. Can't wait to see how it turns out, Nagi. Uh, thank you for taking the time to be on the show today. I appreciated your, your insights. Look forward to hearing more about your success, Nissan's success, and perhaps you can come back on the show in the future and we could talk a little more about where we've uh, progressed. But otherwise, thank you very much for your time. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thanks for joining another episode of Light Data Action. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your favorite shows. You can also follow us on Twitter at Light Data Action. And for more Lumen news, at Lumen Tech Co. As always, we'd love to get your feedback and suggestions for future topics you'd like to hear on the show, and I hope you'll join us next time for another conversation.